Good morning. Merry Christmas. I consider Thanksgiving Day to Christmas Day Christmas, and it's my favorite time of the year. I have been asked that question, why did you move from Hawaii to Michigan? And my answer is, God has a sense of humor. Actually, we've lived Illinois, Tennessee, Arizona, Hawaii, Michigan, Arizona, Texas, and we're still going. It's so good to be able to share with you here today, and I trust that uh, you made it through Black Friday, you didn't get in any fights, you're not bruised up or anything like that, and you've made it out to the house of the Lord here today. And so my desire is to minister God's grace and love to you, and and my prayer is that God will give us ears to hear and a heart to receive and a will to obey. Amen? Amen. This is my wife here on the front row. She was my partner partner in crime for... <laughs> uh, said I pastored 42 years. Some people thought I pestered for 43 years, 42 years. But she's been with me. We've been together for 55 years. Now, you know, we, we thought we'd been married a long time, but Glenn and Ed, uh, raise your hand there, Glenn and Ed, 68 years. I'm going to talk to you about the shocking love of God. That's shocking. <laughs> Amen. God is so good. We love our pastor and his family here, don't we? And I, too, appreciate these series. He's got uh, two more to go. And I was thinking about it, and I said, uh, I was thinking, Pastor, uh, maybe you need to put a sign out in the, in the vestibule that when people come in, it says, warning, R-rated sermon. But then it might work to your advantage if you put a digital sign out here on the loop with an arrow pointing this way and saying, notice, R-rated sermon. You just, they might be standing around the walls, you know, if they hear something like that. Might be an attractive thing to them. So it's been good. I've, I've made it through two services already, one last night and one this morning and so I'm I'm doing I'm doing pretty good for an old guy. And I know that some of you were thinking, who is that old guy? And it's true, I'm old. I've been around the block a few times. As you folks say here in Texas, this is not my first rodeo. But God's been good and he's been faithful. And I want to talk to you about the shocking love of our God. Sandra and I lived on two different occasions. We lived in Phoenix, and, of course, the number one attraction to Arizona is the Grand Canyon. And we have family and friends come. That's the first thing we want to do. They want to go see the Grand Canyon. And so we've been there a number of times, but I always have an experience. I call it like a, it shocks my senses when I walk up to the edge of that vast canyon. It's just almost takes your breath away, and I don't like heights, so when I, look, I can't stand there very long and look down, you know. 
The Grand Canyon, um, one place I read said it's 200 miles long. Another said it's 270 miles long. Now, it's 212 miles from here to Houston, Texas. So if you can imagine this canyon going on beyond from here beyond Houston, Texas, give you a little insight to the site of that. At its widest point, it's 18 miles wide. And at its deepest point, it's over a mile deep. There's 5,280 feet in a mile, I believe. So if you can imagine, say it's 5,500 feet down into that canyon. And the shocking thing is that this great and mighty God spoke that thing into existence. Amen? And so even today, if I were to go back, it would have that kind of an effect on me. Now, my text today is the golden text of the Bible, John three sixteen and 17. And for those of you who've been a Christian for some time, a follower of Jesus Christ, you might say, oh, that. Oh, I know about that. I, I memorized that when I was a kid. And, um, you know, you, you mean you're going to preach on that? Well, getting back to how the Grand Canyon shocks my senses, I could imagine if I lived in, um, around there in Williams and um, uh, what's the town up north? Flagstaff. That's, that's why she's here soon. <laughs> And you had been around it and seen it many times, you might have the tendency to just, oh, well, that's, you know, that's the Grand Canyon. That's a big hole in the ground. When you get familiar with something, it starts to lose its, its impact, its importance. So what we have to guard against with us who've been followers of Jesus for many years We've got to guard against getting too familiar with what the Word of God says about God and His love for us. Amen? We still want to be in awe and appreciation for the love of God. And so we're going to look at this to begin with. Now, I only need glasses for close up and far away. Any other time, I don't need them. But I don't like them, so I'm always taking them on and off. So if you can endure that. And somebody said, well, you just leave them on and wear them long. I don't want to do that. I don't like them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15, if we could move to that, please. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. We're getting ready to celebrate that indescribable. No words to fully explain God's love that has come down to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. How can you put 
enough words together to, to, get, to get that, to understand that. You're going to get some gifts for Christmas, and some of you are going to be excited about those gifts, and, and uh, you're going to tell some others, and you're going to describe those gifts and what they look like and how much you appreciate them, and it was always what you wanted to get. Don't you always say that if somebody gives you, oh, that's what I always wanted that. You know, you lie a little bit. That's what I always wanted. But this gift came at Christmas. And God did it for us. Not because we deserved it. Not because we were good enough for it. Don't you appreciate this music this morning that so compliments what I'm going to share with you? Don't they do a great job? Give them a hand cap of praise. So it's hard to explain and completely put into words what the love of God is like and the gift that has come down to fallen man. Come down to us so that he can live in us and eventually one day take us to be with him forever and forever. Amen? So thanks be to God for his indescribable uh, Un, un, un way of communicating, I, not enough words to talk about his unconditional love for us. And then in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God demonstrates his love toward us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For a long time, when I would quote that verse, I would quote it God demonstrated, past tense, God demonstrated as if it were done, you know. But that says demonstrates. He demonstrated it, he continues to demonstrate it, and he will forever demonstrate his love for us. Love has to be demonstrated. It's easy to say, I love you. Now, being a pastor for 42 years, and there's been a few times when people would say, oh, pastor, I love you. I love your preaching. You're the best pastor we ever had. And six months to a year later, they hate my guts, and they're moving off to another church. Love is to be demonstrated. It's to be observable. It should be easily seen when you love, and God loves that way. In more than just saying that he loves us, he demonstrates his love toward us. Not because we are deserving of it. None of us are deserving of it. For while we were still sinners, while we were separated from a holy God, God so loved the world. That's those sinners. It's in that world. It's a world that rebels against him. It's a world that disrespects him. Do you live in that kind of world today? It's an anti-God world. It's an anti-Christ world. It's an anti-Bible world. It's an anti-church world that we're living in. Amen? There's hatred. There's envy. There's strife. There's conflict. 
But God loves every one of those. Amen. You bear with me now. I hope I don't get myself in trouble right here. Uh, my wife and I make a number of trips to Walmart. In fact, I've told them when I die, they need to bury me at Walmart so she'll come and visit me. But I don't know about you, but I have seen some shocking things at Walmart. I I wish I hadn't seen that. I would have rather not seen that. And then I see people, and I, I, I have to repent almost every time I go to Walmart because I see people looking certain ways, doing certain things, and I'm thinking, my God. And God says, yes. I loved you, didn't I? And I loved them. Amen. If I had my way, I'd know how to straighten the whole world out, you know. But it's the love of God. It's the goodness of God that brings people to himself. That love and that goodness and that grace and that mercy is what draws people to God. And to think, I mean, it is shocking to think that he would do that. And while we were yet in the mess that we were in, and we had nothing to offer, that he still would come down to us and present himself to us and make himself real to us, that we can have that burden and that guilt and that condemnation of sin lifted away. Paul said in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Amen. What can separate us from the love of God? And he enumerates all these things. He said nothing present or nothing to come. And he said not any created thing. Nothing can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. I get excited to think that God never is going to separate himself from me. God is never going to divorce himself from me. Divorce is a, is a difficult thing. And I'm sure there's people sitting here this morning, you've gone through divorce, or you might be going through divorce now. Sandra and I only had two children, nine and a half years apart. It took me that long to get her willing to have the second one. I've lost my train of thought. Maybe it'll come back to me. I got it. I, 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 
I have good memories, just short. (laughs) Divorce, in some ways, is worse than death. Because you have a death, that's the end of it. With divorce, it lingers, it, you know. Both of our children were raised in the faith and raised in church and never left the Lord, and both went through divorce. Heart-wrenching. Difficult. I'm pastoring the church. I'm trying to encourage people. I'm trying to minister to people. Front page news. My son-in-law's been arrested. Headed for prison. Two little babies. My son went to Christian College, Lee University. Met his wife in the choir. They got married. Had a little boy. I don't know all what went with that. She decided she wouldn't be married anymore. She went back home. But here's the goodness and the faithfulness and the love of God. God has given them both godly companions. They have beautiful families. They're serving the Lord today. He's never going to separate His love is never going to be withdrawn from me. Amen. And whatever you're going through today, I want you to know that you might be in a struggle. It might be the worst thing you've ever faced in your life. But I'm telling you, God has not separated himself from you. And God's not going to divorce himself for you. God has not given up on you. And God's not interested in condemning you. He's interested in manifesting his love toward you to bring you out of that circumstance. There's a better day. There's a better way God is for you and if God be for you who has the audacity to be against you I'm about to get Pentecostal now amen I'm talking about the shocking love of God and what it can do and accomplish in our lives amen John 11, 25, 26. Is that where I'm going next? Through my head of myself. <laughs> Jesus said to her, now this is Jesus talking to Martha, Lazarus' sister. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? First of all, he he uses the term believe in me. And then I think he helps us understand what he means by believe when he defines it this way. He who lives and believes in me. There's a lot of people say they believe but they don't live like they do. Amen? 
Belief brings you to the point of complete and total surrender to the will of God for your life. Believing brings you to the point that you're willing to give up your will for God's will, your way for God's way. There was an advertisement years ago by Ford Motor Company, and it says, uh, Ford has a better way. Well, some people kind of think that themselves. You know, they have a better way of doing this. No, the only way is God's way. The best way is God's way. And believe in him and believe what he did for you and believe in how much he loves you and cares for you and what he wants to do for you and through you for his glory, for his honor, for his praise, and for your benefit. Though you die, you will live. There's two resurrections We hear about the one about the resurrection at the end of time when the dead in Christ are going to rise. But when you become a born-again believer, when you accept the love of God in your life, there's a resurrection that takes place. Because we are dead in trespasses and sins, according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And it says, he has quickened you. He has made you alive. You walked in here today, and uh, it looks like everybody in this room is alive. But if you came in here today without knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are a walking dead person. You're not really alive. The only way you can come alive and really understand what life is is if you surrender yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ and allow him to come in and live in you and bless you and love you and give good things to you. That's when you get resurrected. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. You become a new creation in Christ Jesus. There's a transformation that takes place. You're not like you used to be. Possibly you've had this experience if you've been a believer for some time. And it might be maybe a couple of years since you saw some of your old uh, school buddies, girlfriends. They haven't seen you since you surrendered your life to Jesus. And they still remember you. It's shocking. Let's say... They'll say to their friends, have you seen Richard? And they only, this is about the only way they know how to say it. They said, he's got religion. (laughs) Well, I got more than religion. I got relationship. (laughs) Amen. That's what we got. Amen. But there's a transformation. There's a change. There's a shocking reality that you're not what you once were. You have been made anew. You have been born again. You have experienced this wonderful love of Jesus Christ that is absolute to transform the way you think, the way you talk, the things you do. You're not that old person anymore. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that's what he's talking about. He who believes and then whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? 
I'm asking that the question to somebody who's never really believed. You've never come to the point. Well, you know, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. You know, those, well, the Bible says the devil believes and trembles, but he's not saved. So it's going to, it's going to take more than just lip service. See, that kind of has, is religion. And as I said before, you, you want to have relationship. You want to believe to the point there's a transformation that takes place in your heart and your life. And you're not the person that you once were. And that can only happen by the love of God. Can you say amen? Amen. I have skipped ahead here, but I'll come back to it if the guys in the booth can help me out. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Here's the picture of Jesus himself standing at the door of our heart. And he's, he's a gentleman. He's not going to knock the door down. He's not going to force his way in. God's never going to make you do anything. Now, he might make you willing. <laughs> he, can, he, can think, he can make things so miserable around you, right, that you'd come to the point. But he, he's not going to force his way on you. And he's just saying, if you open the door, I'll come in. Can you imagine when you open that door and Jesus Christ comes in, all that he brings with him becomes yours. You are an heir of God and a joint heir of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is your elder brother. Amen. Um, my brother was 12 years older than me, and I didn't really have a dad. My dad was killed. Uh, he was a coal miner, and I was about 18 months old. And my mother married again, and then he, he was a coal miner, and he had a stroke and died. And so... Um, Anyway, I, my brother became my father figure, and I loved and I idolized, and I just thought the world of my brother, and I just thought, you know, he was a good ball player, he was strong, he was fast, I just thought my brother could do anything. But as I got a little older, I began to see that Roy wasn't perfect. Roy, Roy wasn't everything that I thought that he was. But he did help me and he protected me and he guided me and he watched out for me. Jesus Christ has never disappointed me. He is my elder brother, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Amen. He has always been with me through the thick and the thin. He has never changed. He's not, he's not affected by circumstances and climates and traditions and all the things that come and to go. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he changes not. Amen.
And so he's wanting to come in. And when he comes in, he brings all the blessings and all the mercies and grace and everything that you have need of. And he begins to bless your life and good things start coming into your life and good things start happening in your life. Because when he comes in with his love and mercy and grace, he comes in with fulfillment and satisfaction that you have never known before. And he's standing at the door. This great God who created the heavens and the earth, who spoke everything into existence by the word of his power. Can you imagine? That is shocking. That is absolutely blows my mind that God would come down and take the form of a man. At the same time, he's God and man. He's tempted in all points as we are tempted to sin, but he does not sin. It's not that he couldn't sin. He chose not to sin. Then he becomes guilty for our sin and allows himself to be nailed to a cruel cross and pays the price for our sin and our redemption and our salvation. He bore in his body our afflictions and our sins and upon him that was what the judgment and the wrath of, of sin was placed upon him. Don't tell me God doesn't love me. Don't tell me that God doesn't love you. And that great God is saying, I want to get to know you, and I want you to get to know me. I don't want you to just know about me. I want you to really know me. Amen? The shocking, shocking love of God. Let me give you, this is a true story about a couple that I think testifies to what I'm talking about. Donnie, excuse me, when you get older, your nose runs. Donnie and Rosie Tucker. Her name was Rosalie, but he called her Rosie, and so that's what we called her. Donnie and Rosie. Donnie was a repulsive person. Donnie was one of those guys that, you know, if you get a group of guys start talking, he, he knew everything about everything. He controlled the conversation. He was just repulsive. <laughs> He was a nonry dude. And um, he was a chain smoker. He, he smoked so much that this tooth right there was, was stained with nicotine. Just that one tooth. He practically ate cigarettes. <laughs> well, Rosie went to church and got saved. I mean, she got saved. And Donnie didn't like it. He didn't like it one bit. He made fun of her. He ridiculed her. Sometimes she'd go home from church and he'd have the door locked. Wouldn't let her in the house. But I'm going to show you what this shocking love of God can do. I've witnessed this. I've seen this. The church had a softball team. Donnie said he wanted to play softball. I said, okay now, Donnie. If you want to play softball, you got to come to church. Now, coming to church then was Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. 
you know, not just one time a week. When you come to church, you come to church. <laughs> church was our life. So he agreed. He said, you start coming. So we, we put him on first base. We thought maybe that'd be the safest place to put him. And we have this ball game, and it's going, and Donnie's uh, little girl, Janet Ellen, I don't know how old, she might have been five, six years old. She was standing on the top bleachers, and I'm saying 10 to 12 feet high. And she fell off backwards and hit the ground. And, you know, if your kids have maybe cut their fingers or something, they'll scream and holler, you know, you think they were dying, so you know that's not really that bad. But she wasn't screaming, and she was moaning, groaning. She was flat on her back. I don't know this because it didn't take her to the doctor, so it didn't have to take her to the doctor. But I really believe she broke her back. The pastor came, ball team, we got around her, and we prayed. And I'm telling you, just like that, she jumped up. She was fine. She was laughing. She was playing. She went ahead and played with the kids. Well, next Sunday morning, when the pastor gave the invitation... Oh, repulsive, <laughs> aggravating Donnie <laughs> came to the altar. And God did a work on his heart. He opened the door. Jesus came in. And I mean to tell you, a transformation took place. Donnie couldn't keep a job. They had been married, you know, a few years. And, and I know this sounds almost unbelievable, but this is what Rosie said. She said that Donnie could hum home and say, Rosie, we're moving. And uh, she said, we moved about 60 times. She said, we're moving. She said, I'd be ready to move in 30 minutes. We'd move so much. <laughs> After he got saved, he went to Ford Motor Company. He got a job on the assembly line, putting tie rod ends on the cars. It was a very physical, hard job. God bless, God bless. He began, He just continued to get promoted, promoted, promoted. And by the time that Donnie retired from Foreman or Company, he was an assistant to the plant manager. He was a changed, you talk about redemptive lift that took place. The love of God invaded that man's life and heart transformed him, changed him. Donnie served on the church council. Donnie was the Sunday school superintendent. Donnie would, would be one of the uh, greeters when you came into the church. He'd just be, have a big smile and just welcome you. Amen? That's what I'm talking about. This shocking love of Jesus Christ can so affect and transform people's lives. And I'm sure some of you have experienced what I'm talking about here this, today as well. Now, here's the promise. In John 3, 17, part of my text today, John chapter 3, John chapter 3 and verse 17. This is how God loved the world. He gave his only, uh, one and only son. I want to stop right there. His one and only son. Now, I've just preached earlier. I haven't said, I haven't said this already now, have I? <laughs> okay. Abraham, after a long time of waiting, he and his wife, Sarah, had a son named Isaac. 
And after Isaac grew to be a young man, probably a teenager, God said to Abraham, I want you to bring Isaac and sacrifice him and give him back. And this is the way he said it to Abraham. I want, me to, I, I want you to give me your son, your only son, the son whom you love. He was clarifying it. How can you not understand that? Your son, your only son, the son whom you love. That was a prophetic message of what was happening when God sent Jesus Christ. God gave us his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Remember, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Death. He brings life. He takes the deadness that's within us and brings his life out from us so that we begin to shine and we begin to glow and we begin to share and we begin to make a difference in our world. How many know that the world needs a change? And we're to be world changers. Amen. We've got the message. We've got what everybody needs. And so let's don't keep it a secret. Let's don't hide it under a a bushel somewhere. Amen. Let your light so shine that men see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. Let them experience what you've experienced. Let them come to know what you know. Let them have the satisfaction, the peace of God that passes all human understanding through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Should not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent his world into the world, sent his son into the world, not to judge, not to condemn, but to save the world through him. Save the world through him. I'm going to close out with my own personal testimony. My mother was a godly woman. She was a tongue-talking woman when I was born. Now, some of you will know what that means. Another, you'll have to turn and ask somebody, what's he talking about? But she was full of the Spirit of God and the love of God. My father was killed. I was 18 months old. My brother was 12 or 13. My sister was 8 or 9 years old. So she's left with three children. She married again. That man had stroke, died. My brothers moved away, got married. My sister got married, moved away. And so I'm now about 14 years of age, starting high school. This was the absolute worst four or five years of my life. Um, It's embarrassing. I... I, uh, the things that I did, um, the way I lived. I'm just glad in the 1950s that marijuana and drugs, you know, that was not, we didn't know anything about that, but we did have alcohol, and I abused alcohol. And um, I went school drunk. I was very rebellious. 
you better not tell me not to do something because if you told me that, I'm going to do it. My mother But here's another thing I found out later that mom just kept holding on, kept believing. She told me, she said, when I was pregnant with you, God told me you're going to have a boy and he's going to preach the gospel. So through these years, I'm running with people 10 years older than me. I'm going into bars. I've seen bar fights. I've had near-death experiences. And my wife said, you should talk about that more. But I, I said, I don't want to glorify it. I don't want, I don't want it to sound appealing because it's not. So my brother said, uh, told my mom, said, I'll come and get him. And he can, uh, he can go live with us. And so I did. And there again, the only place they went was church, you know. So I went to church, and they had a ball team. I wanted to play on the ball team, so that was a motivation. So one Sunday morning, uh, this is this is worship through the 1950s. You don't know, you don't know that kind of worship today. It's um, we sang out of the red back hymnals. We had convention songbooks, and man, I mean, they had it hopping. <laughs> I mean, that they had it going and they were clapping their hands and they're singing as loud as they can sing. Well, I'm sitting there just because I want to play ball. And I'm sitting there and they're, they're singing. I mean, they're worshiping God. And uh, I start patting my foot, you know, patting my foot. Then all of a sudden I start clapping my hands and I think, whoa, what am I doing? <laughs> And we had pews. Some of you don't know what they, I don't, they didn't stink. They were made out of wood. And <laughs> I grabbed a hold of the pew with both hands. I got white knuckles. I'm holding on. And when they got a good song, they'd sing that song. They'd sing that chorus 14 times, you know. <laughs> they'd sing it again, and they'd sing it again. And I, I said... I don't know if I was talking to myself or to the Lord, but I said, if they sing it one more time, I'm going to go down there. They'd sing it again. I said, they sing it one more time. I'm going to... They'd sing it again. I said, they sing it one more time. And finally, I got my hands off of that pew. And I went down and I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I was 19 years old. I'm 75 years old today. And the love of God is as strong and as real in my life today that it was that very first day when I surrendered. Amen. Is there anyone here this morning you need to surrender? You need to experience the shocking love of God. You need to answer the door. He's standing, knocking. Open the door and let him come in. The best decision you could ever make and the greatest gift that you could ever receive 
is the love of God through Jesus Christ coming into your life. It's my prayer today that you would even today, before you leave here, make that choice and make that decision. And just let me say to you, you've been a Christian for a while. You're struggling. You're down on yourself. You're questioning. Just open the door again. Just let him come on in. You want to know, you, you want to be more than just knowing about him. You want to know him. Paul said, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know him when it's easy and I want to know him when it's hard. Because you can, because he'll never leave you. He's with you and he's more than just a fair weather friend and a good time buddy. Not only is he with you, when all the pieces of the puzzle fit together, when the checkbook balances and the kids are behaving. He's with you when your life turns upside down, inside out, and it seems like all hell is coming against you. He has never left you and forsaken you. He's still here. He's still willing to move in your life. Just open the door and let him come in this morning. Amen? Will you stand with me, please?